0: And welcome to another episode of the Enter the Bible podcast, where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Katie Langston.
1: And I'm Catherine Schifferdecker. And we have as our special guest today, uh, Reverend Dr. Corey Driver, who is Assistant to the Bishop for Emerging Ministries and Ministers in the Indiana-Kentucky Synod. Of the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, uh, of which we are all uh, pastors. Corey himself is a pastor as well. He's also uh, holds a PhD in um, in Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, Jewish studies. Uh, I don't know the exact, but he uh, he is a-, a wealth of information about the Old Testament and particularly Jewish interpretation of the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, he is an adjunct professor of Old Testament here at Luther Seminary. So thank you so much for joining us, Corey. Oh, and I should mention your book, Life Unsettled, A Scriptural Journey for Wilderness Time uh, by Fortress Press. You should check it out. So thanks uh, for joining us, Corey. Thanks for having me.
2: Great to be here.
1: Glad
0: you're here. And I'm especially glad you're here because today's question comes from not necessarily a listener, but a co-host. Who is me?
1: <laughs>
0: so I've been, you know, I've been going through the Bible from beginning to end, and I was in Leviticus, you know, which is a spot where you might normally lose some steam uh, in such an endeavor, but uh, I I soldiered on, and as I was reading through, I was perplexed at the number of things in Leviticus that can get you executed. And so I am wondering why can so many things get you executed in Leviticus? Is that not overkill? Pun in, uh. pun intended. <laughs> Very. Thank you. Thank you for the courtesy. Chuckle. Um. Yeah. Like what? What? Why? Why? I need to know. So,
2: I've got three responses. Okay. Um, and you can try them on and see if any of them fit. Um, I should note that they are canonical and pastoral and not necessarily literary critical uh, or historical. So um, Catherine, save me. Um, (laughs) And you mentioned Leviticus Leviticus being kind of a slog and yeah, of course, uh, unless you are of a particular kind of nerd, uh, <laughs> which you know, I might, might happen to be.
0: And Catherine, you, um, you, yeah, you I, have a soft spot too, for Leviticus as well, right? So I do. I like I'm talking, Leviticus a lot. I'm talking I to mean... a couple of major nerds. So this is good. This is good. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you are. Yes. But even for us,
2: right? Like I find myself really drawn to the narrative, uh, and there are precious islands of narrative in Leviticus. That's true. Uh, and I think, in order to respond to why so much killing, I want to dive into a couple of stories yep. in Leviticus. Um, so, we should note also, um, and my PhD is Jewish religious cultures, uh, so this is coming out of that. Okay. Um, Jewish law is largely case law, right? Uh, rather than direct, like, legal theory, right? Something happens. And then we make a rule to make sure that it happens again if it was a good thing or like happens much less if it was a bad thing, right? Uh, And so probably starting with narrative makes a lot of sense uh, because these are stories of what happens. Corey,
0: this, this not to interrupt, but this reminds me of a sign I saw uh, in a bathroom um, this past weekend. And it said, please do not flush the toilet with your foot. Oh, okay. And so it's like it seems like that was one of those things where it's like, uh oh, someone flushed the toilet with their foot. It caused a problem, and therefore uh-huh. we needed to make a rule <laughs> to say
2: right. That sign doesn't come with the toilet. Uh, no one something t- has to happen. Something
0: happened and it was and like, let's not let's not do that anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Or at it least kind do of it makes me wonder what happened. Like what's I, the story I think, did someone I think someone I know exactly? I think happened. someone flushed the toilet. Did throat? they fall down?
0: Little no, too no, hard. no, I
1: mean, yes, yeah. they did, no, no. but they... did it hurt the toilet or did it hurt them? That's all I'm wondering. Mm-hmm. But that's not our question. That's Sorry. not our question. Sorry. The point being that yeah. yes, there's a story behind it. Yes.
2: There couldn't Happy's be a story. better intro to what is about to happen. <laughs> um <laughs> That is exactly what's going on. <laughs> so, um, with that said, let's read a little Leviticus. <laughs> okay, uh, we go. So, All right. so, so, Leviticus 10, uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. You know what this is. Uh, now, Nadav and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire plants, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on the fire, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Yep. Um, everybody's favorite lectionary reading. Right? <laughs> that, that comes up all the time in the text. <laughs> um, the first response to why there's maybe so much killing and so much that can get you killed in Leviticus is it's a life form imbalance that leads to protection measures for the community. Right, so Nadav and Abihu offer their offerings. They're they're the sons of the high priest. They're they're doing their thing, uh, but they bring in some strange ingredients, right? Strange fire, and we don't know exactly what that means. There's lots of different interpretations, way more than we have time for in the podcast. Um, but they bring in something that's not ready, right? Uh, so in Leviticus and elsewhere, we have this clean or unclean or pure or impure, imprecise terms, right, um, I, I think it's probably better to think about these terms as like ready and not ready to encounter God, huh. right, hmm. because there's nothing inherently impure about something that is um, tahara, right, like, uh, or taimei, right, um,
0: like touching, like you, you touched a dead body, or a woman you touched a dead body. A woman is on her period, or whatever. That's not like impure in a in a. Sort or a of, lizard
2: fell into your water. It's
1: Not a moral. Right? It's not a moral,
0: it's not a moral it's thing. Not, it's not, thing. No, no yeah. problem. I mean, right? Okay. Like, yeah. I wouldn't if, like it if, if a my beloved happened.
2: person done dies. If my beloved person dies, and I'm like carrying them to their grave, right? It's not like you're not doing anything wrong, right? 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 Um right. Like menses right is not something wrong it's just not ready to go into the tabernacle or the temple
0: okay okay Mm.
2: take a little pause get intentional then go
0: so pure versus Uh, impure i like
1: that reframe ready versus not ready yeah yeah. that's good ready versus not not, it does not mean sinful or or morally not sinful okay that's helpful cool though though sin does make a person impure Exactly. But not right. all impurity is the result of sin. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Some of it is the result of very natural processes okay. like yeah. demonstration. Okay.
2: There are a lot of reasons you could be not ready.
1: Okay. Right.
2: Um, and so Nadav and Abihu bring not ready into ready space. Okay. And they ought to have known better, but they don't seem to have. Where they maybe didn't take it as seriously, and maybe they did know better, but they're like, oh, you know, we're offering an offering, what does God care, right? Where's the fire, where the fire comes from, right? But God cares very much, uh, like so much so that they are uh, immolated, right? They're incinerated. Yep. What is going on, yep. right? Like, why would that get you burned up yep. is, is the question. Sounds um, like a lot. Yeah, sounds like uh, overkill, That's going to keep being fun this whole time. (laughs) Um, So it's maybe an issue of species imbalance, right? Uh, So one of my favorite sort of speculative fictional authors uh, about this period, um, Jack Miles, talks about God as volcano choosing to live in a hair and leather tent because the tent was built by the volcano's friend. Right? And I think that's kind of a lovely image.
0: Um, Wait, say it again. Uh, God as volcano.
2: God as like volcano. Like oh. fire and smoke yeah. on a mountain. Lives, thundering.
0: Lives in um, yeah. little
2: embers. And so huh. okay. that God chooses to live in a very combustible, uh, portable building. Because it was built by the volcano's friend. Uh, um uh. I was thinking, and I can't remember, Catherine, I wonder, was it your advisor? Who said, like, God is like nuclear reactor, right? Uh, yeah,
1: that? yeah, yeah. John Levinson, my my PhD advisor, uh, uh, nuclear reactor, or even just simply a power plant, right? Like mm. a, yeah, a, a yeah. Like a power plant. So uh, similar to what, you know, Jack Miles talks about with the volcano, it's like, the Tabernacle, right, which is this portable temple or portable mount sinai mm. the 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 presence of God or where God dwells in the midst of the people as they're wandering through the wilderness, the tabernacle is like a power plant or a nuclear power or a volcano, any of these things this this extremely uh powerful in the case of a power plant, extremely useful. Good thing that if you approach carelessly, will kill you. Sure. Right? Not because it's malicious, not Mm -hmm. because it's, you know, delights in killing people, but because there's so much power there that if you are stupid (laughs) and do not prepare yourself, do not prepare yourself correctly, do not, you know, dress in all the protective gear you will die. And it's not because the power plant hates you. It's just because there's so much power. So I I find that a useful way of, yeah, I find that a useful way of thinking about uh, this story and other stories like it, like, like when When they study the the Ark Ark of the Covenant later in second Samuel, is that the Ark of the Covenant is put on a cart and taken to Jerusalem. It's, it's, you know, shaken by the cart and, one of the men reaches back to steady it and dies instantly again, not because he sinned, but because he wasn't careful. So I like your, I like your choice of words, ready or not ready. I think that uh, prepared or not prepared. Yeah. That sort of thing.
2: So the rules of Leviticus then are essentially like a hazmat suit, right? That allows you to get close safely. The, Hmm. The tabernacle, And then the ring of the Levites around them are the containment unit uh, for the nuclear reactor (laughs) that wants to live among the people. Right. right? Like it's a very friendly
0: nuclear reactor.
2: It's an incredibly (laughs) intimate and loving nuclear power in which like, Huh. There is power and there's warmth and there's protection, right? Like mm-hmm. all the things, right? This metaphor works mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do in order to be safe with the the nuclear power that wants to live at the center of town is put on your hazmat suit, right? Right, and so the provisions of mm. Leviticus are, in that way, sort of a gift, right? Like there is a species imbalance. The God of the universe and humans yeah. are going to live together in a mobile town. We need to take some steps, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's it's in that sense, mm. the death of uh, Nadav and Abihu is a gift to say like. Look, we have a species in imbe- there's danger here, but it's because of who I am, but also I love you and want to be present physically because of who I am and because of who you are. Please take steps. And I don't want what God does not want at all is long-term nuclear poisoning. Right? It's it's the slow leak out of the containment that is the threat to the entire community. Hmm. And so when Jeremiah in Jeremiah 7 is talking about, you don't understand what this presence is here among us, right? You're just going loosey-goosey and doing whatever, but there's real danger, and there's going to be, um, I'm okay saying it, hell to pay, right? Because we're not taking protective measures seriously. God gave you the hazmat suit of these laws so that you and God could live together. Yeah. If you take off your hazmat suit, it doesn't mean that the nuclear actor hates you. It means that you're not taking care of yourself and taking care of your community. And so, not even who dying is like, look, two people died and it's horrible. We do not want people to die. We do absolutely want you all to take this incredibly seriously so that we don't have the long term poison that neglect of God's holiness is going to. you know, eventually work uh, across hundreds of years. And so it's um, we don't feel super comfortable with this all the time, but, Mm -hmm. like, the first response is that, look, these laws and the serious penalties that underlie them are a protective move from God Mm -hmm. to say Mm -hmm. it it may come to exile. We don't want that. Mm -hmm. So in order to prevent that or forestall that, Please take this incredibly seriously.
1: That's. It's worth noting that uh, a few verses uh, after they die, uh, the Lord speaks to Aaron and says, uh, and these are important verses, uh, mm-hmm. in, in chapter 10, verse 8, and the Lord spoke to Aaron, drink no wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons when you enter the tent of meeting, that you may not die. It is a statute forever throughout your generation. So I uh, I read that as that maybe this strange fire, or the NRSV translates it unholy fire, may have something to do with that. Maybe Nadab and Abihu got into the communion wine, and you know. Those yeah. Adab and and, and that's why they, yeah, and that's, you know, why God then commands don't. Don't be drinking, you know, when you when you enter the nuclear power plant or the power, you know, how, the volcano or whatever uh, metaphor you want to use. But then that verse ten is really key right after that. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. So, this is the job of the priest, right? Aaron is the first uh, high priest. His descendants are the priests. This is your job. You are to, you are to teach the people of Israel how to approach. Uh, you know how to be ready. How to be ready to approach God. Distinguish between uh, the the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. To so, and and this is actually refers back to. Genesis 1, it's Mm. the same verb used here in the Hebrew, when God separates the waters above the sky from the waters below the sky, or separates the sea from the dry land, or separates the night, uh, the light from the darkness. The world is created in such a way, and and the same people responsible for Leviticus are are also responsible for that creation story in Genesis 1. So, So the priests act in a way as God did in creation to order the world in such a way to distinguish between certain parts of the world in order to create a space that life can thrive, that life can exist, right? So to create order out of chaos so that there is space uh, and the, and the means for life to, to exist, to thrive. So, Back
2: to you, Corey. Sorry. Yeah. No. Great. That's yeah. That's exactly it. This is a life preservation,
1: hmm. right? This is a,
2: a heavy warning, uh, and the instructions for Aaron come after the death of his sons, and the warning is very much underscored. Please don't let this happen to you. Yeah. Right? Um, so, first response. Maybe all the instructions and their extremely heavy penalties are an attempt to preserve life. Yep.
0: Okay.
2: uh, Human life. The second response is maybe it's a protective move for God. Uh, And underscoring this, I'd like to turn to Leviticus 24. I'll start at verse 10. Um, A real tearjerker of a story, uh, not that the last wasn't. But um, if we have a heart to feel, this is a tough one. So Leviticus 10, 24. Now the son of an Israelite woman, his father was an Egyptian, went out among the sons of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and an Israelite man had a fight within the camp. And the son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name and cursed. So they brought him to Moses. Now his mother's name was Shalomit, the daughter of debre of the tribe of Dion. Then they put him in custody, waiting for Moses to give them a clear decision in accordance with the command of the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who is cursed outside the camp and have all who heard him lay their hands on his head and then have all the congregation stone him.
0: Okay, this is the story that prompted my question. Was it really? Yeah, I was reading this and I was like, what the hell? Holy Spirit, activate.
1: Okay. Love it. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, so, chapter twenty-four. Chapter twenty-four, yeah. starting at verse ten. All right. Okay. Right. Um.
2: There's two verbs for what the man does, uh, and the third response uh, is going to circle back to the same story. So we're we're going to we're going to focus on him in a little bit. Right now, we're going to focus on God. Okay. Right. What does the man do to God? Uh, there's two things. He blasphemes the name
1: mm-hmm.
2: and curses. Okay. Right? And so in in Hebrew, it will actually say Hashem, right? Like this isn't the Lord. This is the name. So so this man is doing something to God's identity, God's God's self, mm-hmm. right? Vayikov, uh, right? Uh, blaspheme. Okay. Um, I'm maybe more of a literalist here, uh, and um, certainly the rabbis are, are are going to agree that somehow this man has pierced God's name, or made a hole in God's name. Mm. Um, mm. So something the man says actually hurts God, mm. right? And kind of pokes a hole in uh, who it is God thinks God's self is boy, those verbs get tough, Um, and curses, right? And so we get the blasphemy, you can't say mean things about God, but also this person is having an impact on God. And so maybe the move here is self-protective for God. Um, And a lot of times we disassociate Leviticus from some of the later prophetic writings Um, and maybe other authors uh, in in the first five books. Um, But this notion of God's vulnerability, and especially God's emotional vulnerability, right? Like, God in the text does repent, does feel sadness, is sometimes surprised, um, Jeremiah tells us, right? Like, God has this rich emotional life in the text that we're not always comfortable with, right? It scares me. Okay, okay. Um, so I love it. Um, different sides, whatever, we can be <laughs> friends. Um, but it, it means a lot to me that God is willing to enter into relationship with creation and particularly with humanity so much that God becomes emotionally moved, right? Mm. Like people can grieve God's heart, people can mm. cause God to regret, repent, People can like inspire love right when God's uh, compassion crests as as an ocean wave, like oh my gosh um mm. that's that's the theology that I get excited about, mm. and I wonder if this is uh, theologically speaking, right God being very vulnerable to say, "Look, some of the things have really heavy penalties because it hurts me mm. um and the people don't know what to do, right? In the text, they're like, oh, has, has no one ever blasphemed before? Has nobody ever said a bad thing about God? Well, you know, we, we've read Exodus. Uh, there have been some, uh, there's been some complaining anyway, right? Uh, but somehow what this person does seems to be somewhat unique. Hmm. And I wonder if this penalty With the putting of hands of the witnesses on the person and then other people stoning seems a might dangerous for the witnesses, I have to say, Mm. um, is somehow a response to humans' effect on God. And I think, like, I wonder if as Christians, right, like, this is a nasty story, but points to the God who is willing to be vulnerable, who is willing to ultimately take on flesh. Right. Hmm.
1: Um,
2: and be very much pierced uh by humans or have holes made through, right? And so I hmm. I think if we just read the words that are on the page, right, like this is about vulnerability and God saying, I actually can't can't have this done to me. Yeah. Not right now. Right. Hmm. Like this is hmm. too much for even me. Um and I, I understand that'll be too far uh for a lot of listeners, but like I think it actually says something lovely about God that, again, it's included here. Yeah. Right. Hmm. The name is pierced, and there's a curse uttered. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's a protective move from a God who's extremely emotionally uh, available and present hmm. with God's people, and that that's the picture we get from the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Right? That, that God is not. Uh, Platonic ideal no. and unmoved, right? Like God is very God much moved,
1: is uh, and unmoved. is quite forthright about it.
0: God's a moved, yeah. a moved mover. I
1: think about, yeah, I think that's really helpful, Corey, and uh and and thought provoking. I think about, of course, the commandment, you know, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. uh That there is something about the name of God. That, that so in Genesis, God does not give God's name, right? Uh, uh, Jacob asks for it and God doesn't give, uh, in Genesis 32, God doesn't give God's name. and then, But then in Exodus, when Moses does ask for God's name, you know, if you send me to the Israelites and they ask who sent me, what shall I say to them? And God says, uh, 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 I am who I am or I yeah. will be who I will be or whatever, uh, however you want to translate that. Uh, And it's that name then that is in this text as well, right? Uh That personal name Uh of God that God gives to Moses, Uh which is so holy that uh, to this day, observant Jews will not even, you know, attempt to say that name, some well-meaning, but ignorant Christian interpreters. (laughs)
0: They kind of just throw uh, the, it around sometimes. And I'm like, oh, they do. And it's think-
1: just not it is not respectful to our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters when we do that. Anyway, uh, it's that name we're talking about. And then the second commandment is don't use when when you give someone your name, you are in a sense opening yourself up to that person and giving that person a claim on you, even if you know, it's not in, in our day, probably not much of a claim. But when you know someone's name, you you know, when you call their name, they will turn their head, right? Mm-hmm. There's a certain mm-hmm. vulnerability about giving one's name mm-hmm. uh, to someone. And, and even more so in scripture, mm-hmm. right, where that name can be misused or blasphemed or and, and I think, you know, we could talk a lot about how God's name is used today, not just in the way I was just talking about you know, by ignorant Christians, but um but how God's name is used to justify some terrible things. Yeah. Right. I mean right. both yeah in in the church, uh yep. both in history and, and today. But that's an that's another topic. Yep. Uh I just wanna note that after this story there's there's a number of laws that uh that's talk about capital. Oh go, go for it, Corey. Yes, go. Yeah.
2: Um so just a little bit of uh, freedom and then circle back if I miss anything. Yep. But yeah, specifically this issue uh, engenders many laws and commandments after it. Okay. Right. Because again, the people don't seem to know what to do. Yeah. Right. They hold this person in custody. Moses goes and asks, cause it's just like, Whoa, we haven't thought about this. We've never, we've never seen this thing.
0: And so no one has ever Moses- flushed the toilet with their feet before. <laughs> Oh, man. Right? No, that's what you're saying. Like, that's, that's the thing. Right. Okay, go on. Sorry.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's, (laughs) I'll have to cut this out in post. Uh, So the instructions thereafter include uh, this repeated theme, and then there's other stuff. Uh, You have one law for the foreigner and the Israelite among you. Uh, So, I'll just jump into verse 17. Now, if someone takes any human life, he must be put to death. Uh, skipping to 22, there shall only be one standard uh, for you. It shall be for a stranger as well as native, for I am the Lord your God. Again, this is God identifying God's self uh, and then providing motivation from there. Then Moses spoke to the sons of Israel, and they brought the one who had cursed outside the camp and stoned him with stones. So the son of Israel... Did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So mm-hmm. here's maybe the third response is that maybe the laws and their penalties are protection for humans, maybe the laws and their penalties are protection for God, and maybe the laws and their penalties are a failure of the community.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Here's what I'm saying. What's the setup of the story? The man goes out, right? Now the son of an Israelite woman, his father was an Egyptian, went out among the sons of Israel, and they're in the camp. So if the question comes up, and like a good rabbi would ask, from where did he go out? Um and the understanding is he went out from the tent of meeting. He's just had a conversation with Moses and God. Hmm. Right? And the question is, we're plotting it up the inheritance of the land. Um, my mother's from the tribe of Dan. My father's an Egyptian. Um, maybe it was a love match um, in the era of Rav, right? Like the, the um, Exodus twelve thirty eight, 38, the, the great number of people who went out with the Israelites. And maybe it wasn't, right? Uh, maybe something bad happens. Uh, and this man comes to be through no fault of his own. Um, uh, mixed ethnic uh, individual right and he so he asks who do who do i camp with right mm-hmm. we set up the camp do i camp with dan should i camp with the the, um, the mixed multitude that's with us mm-hmm. um where should my tent be you know my mom is show everybody knows her the daughter of debris right where do i go and moses says and this is not in the text uh you have no inheritance, right? We, You're not of the tribe of Dan, right? Because in this day, property and Jewish identity, or Israelite identity, is patrilinear, mm-hmm. right? Today, it's matrilineal. Back in the day, right, like Judah has um, Canaanite uh, partners. And Joseph has an Egyptian partner, right? So right. Like it's patrilinear. And so, look, your father's an Egyptian. Your inheritance is in Egypt. And I don't know what you're doing huh. and he goes out and he gets into a fight with an Israelite now the midrash will say this is the person's half-brother right? his hmm. mother's son with an Israelite man.
1: wait say uh, what a midrash what what's midrash for
2: uh, midrash is literally like the product of study uh so very much like we do when we come to a text and ask a question right like the whole basis for this podcast <laughs> midrash is the study that leads to the response hmm. right and like, it's
1: very, and it's jewish very jewish
2: rabbinic technique um yep. to stay grounded in the text but open up uh for space for storytelling or new rules uh there's Midrash as well um so look we have a question from the text let's go to the text for an answer but let's have a little freedom too.
1: so J- jewish so, kind of creative interpretation but based in the text yeah sorry
2: Go ahead. very much no 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 great so that this guy is fighting over this deep issue of belonging like where do i sleep when we enter the land where's my allotment going to be and moses says you're not going to get an allotment and so that provides this emotional background of like why'd you get in the fight with an israelite like what from where did you go out to enter into the camp, hmm. right? Like, if, presumably, if you go out, you'd be outside the camp. Uh, and then, why do you curse God's name, right? Like, the interpretation here is that Moses has a sort of failure to include and intercede for the less than fully Israelite,
0: hmm.
2: right? So Moses intercedes all the time right? Yeah. In death sentences, right. right? Exodus 32, Numbers 14, Numbers 16, there's this story of like God specifically saying, now Moses, do not intercede. I really want to kill these people. <laughs> and, and Moses dispatches his own brother to go stand between the living and the dead, <laughs> right. right? And so disobeys a direct command to stop the loss of life, right? So Moses is all the time talking back to God, no, 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 you don't want to kill this person, right? You don't want to kill this person. And what Moses does here is not that. Mm -hmm. It's very much the opposite. And Moses has this radical failure of empathy. Because if anybody understands what it's like to have an Israelite mom and your Israelite dad not be super present or be a big fixture in your life, right? Like, it's Moses growing up in Pharaoh's household, um, Princess Batia, so the, gosh, is it the Pixar movie? The, 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 the Prince, Prince of, of Egypt? Egypt? When Miriam says, like, so good. go ask the man you call father yeah. what happened, mm. right? Like, that's who this Moses is, the guy who should, if anyone else, have radical empathy for somebody with an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father. Yeah. And instead, he says, uh, you don't have any inheritance. And when Moses asks the question, it all goes to him, right? They send Moses to ask what's to be done. Moses asks. He says, you actually have to have your hands on him when he's crushed to death. Moses says, okay. Hmm. But before that happens, God keeps like trying to prick Moses' conscience. Right? If someone takes a human life, he must be put to death. Well, what had Moses done? Hmm but kill an Egyptian overseer, right? Mm -hmm. You shall only have one standard for you, for the native and for the foreigner. Mm -hmm. God's talking to Moses here. Like, are you sure you don't want to intercede? Like, I know this Mm -hmm. is in your character. I know that you're going to do this. I wonder, and this is like the really pastoral move, Mm -hmm. if a lot of the punishment isn't a failure of empathy. On behalf of Mm. Moses, because Moses will avert death of the people when they when they cause problems when they injure God's name, right? That's the exact thing. Right. And he doesn't do it here. And I wonder Mm. if like that's not the message for Christians interpreting these passages, right? Mm. Like Moses is this great example of, especially in number sixteen, God says. Specifically do not get involved, do not rescue these people. And Moses says, Aaron, go.
0: Mm.
2: And Aaron goes and stops the plague. Right. Right? And I think God I think God loves that about Moses. I think that's why Moses mm-hmm. is God's great mm-hmm. friend and why they hang out and talk so much. It's like, Oh, you got me. I'm delighted to be gone, by the way. Yeah. Right. And so it's this God who's trying to say, Moses, you recognize anything here? You should have one standard. Uh, If anybody kills people, they're going to be killed. Do you know anybody who's killed anybody, Moses, (laughs) at all? Right. (laughs) And and so in a lot of ways, right, Uh like maybe the text happens and the text means to us what the text means because of failure of empathy to intercede and protect people. And I think, again, like that's the move for interpreters of this text to make. Like, I think Moses could have interceded. And I think we could intercede. Yeah. Because a lot of texts from Leviticus are used to condemn folk. Yeah. Uh, Like, I don't have to tell you. And maybe we could step up in this passage where I think God is really giving Moses a lot of opportunities. Have that one standard, you intercede for your folks, do you want to intercede for this person who might also be your folk? And Moses says, no, right? Like after all the laws, it's not, they don't put him to death earlier in the thing. It's all the laws that they trot out and then they take him outside and put him to death. And I wonder if that wasn't a missed opportunity. Uh, So maybe there's death to protect people, Um, like, an example should be made to keep the rest of the community in line for safety. Maybe there's death because it protects God. But maybe there's death because like humans didn't do enough mm-hmm. to say, hey, there shouldn't be so much death.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, and these are things that we hmm. see in the text, right? This isn't coming out of nowhere. Yeah, right. Um, so maybe any of those.
1: Hmm. So, Katie, since wow. this is your question, what, uh, yeah, how does that?
0: yeah well a few. Help. I mean that's all really helpful you know one of the thoughts that I've had as we've been talking first of all is just like how um, how the idea of like God is the power plant or whatever you know that's not the most comfortable idea I think sometimes we like to think of like buddy Jesus you know or like I've you know God, God's <laughs> my best friend and like you know maybe 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 god is like actually super duper powerful and we don't always internalize that and it, god is not a human and god is you know bigger and more and and more dangerous in a way than we're like totally comfortable with in like buddy jesus culture so that's one thing um but the other But it's the I intimacy that but the, makes it, the danger. It right? is, right, like if, right. If it's God's the proximity. Danger is far
2: away, no problem. Right,
0: right, right, right.
2: But if God wants to move in,
0: right, that's where things mm-hmm. get. That's where things get. Yeah. So that's that's one thing that I'm you know that I'm thinking about. But then the other, that piece about um, you know, the human the human failure of imagination. Uh, The human Mm. failure uh, to respond with mercy. Yeah. And maybe that's part of why so many things were prescribed, like why they were like, yeah, we'll kill you for that. But I think it's also true, Catherine, I think I've heard you say this, that actually there's not a ton of evidence that like people did get killed all the time. Like usually it's like, all right, we'll impose a fine. (laughs) Or something like that. Like, even though it's there well, in the text, it's like, well,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. And it's worth practice. noting, uh, right, right. And and I'll I'll defer to Corey on uh, uh, history. But by the time of the rabbis, there's not capital punishment. Right? Yeah. There's there's very strict rules about you know uh, uh, witnesses to you know to, that there have to be witnesses for any kind of punishment. To happen, and capital punishment is is pretty much ruled out by the time of the rabbis. It's also worth noting in verse nineteen, if we're still in Leviticus twenty four, anyone who uh, maims another shall suffer the same injury in return. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Right. The injury inflicted is the injury to be suffered. And maybe our listeners have heard this already, but you know we use that term eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth to talk about vengeance. Yeah. Really, it's it's a uh, 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 restriction against uh, uh, vengeance that is overdone. So oh. eye for an eye, not life for an eye. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, tooth for a tooth, not uh, you know uh, again life for a tooth. The huh. the, the the punish the, um, the, punishment, the punishment has to punishment fit, the fit
0: the crime. Yeah,
1: right. So you shouldn't overdo the vengeance. So it's actually a, a merciful kind of law that huh. eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Huh. Yeah.
2: And so it's it, it specifically that mercy and that like corralling of wrath and punishment that intercedes between the deed and the punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, very much to Catherine's point, just really want to underscore that. Um yeah. Judaism very quickly finds ways to say, Look, we we do not want to be killing people. Yeah. That right? this is mm-hmm. this is not. Um and like the most god loving and neighbor loving thing we can do is interpret these texts and create systems so that they are not harmful yeah to the
0: community, yeah
2: right yeah. um and mm-hmm. i think there's a message for christians there
0: yeah even as we acknowledge well, the power and the difference and all that of god yeah that's cool
1: yeah and and this is where the term the fear of the lord can be helpful as well right that the i i had a student years ago who said you know that she talked about she thought about God as a, an old grandpa on a porch in a rocking chair, you know, just waiting to welcome her home. Or even she even used the term teddy bear. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I think you want to revise that a little bit, right? God is, God is holy, and God is holy other, and we have to have kind of like approaching a power plant again. The fear of the Lord has to do with knowing that God is God and we are not, yeah. and that God is not us, right? And so there has to be a kind of reverence, a kind of respect, even a kind of fear in the sense of, you know, being, um, yeah, not presuming on God uh, and, and having that proper uh, respect. Now, as Christians, we also say that God is most fully revealed in Jesus on yeah. the cross. Uh, suffering yeah. and dying for us and being uh, resurrected, right? So this God, uh, as Corey was talking about, this holy other God, this holy God moves in, desires to be in relationship with us. Yeah. And for the for for Leviticus, it's in the tabernacle; it's that kind of physical manifestation of God. For Christians, it's as John one says, right? God who who uh, tabernacles with us. Mm. God who. Uh, became flesh and moves in the, into the neighborhood as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. But that same, that word, uh, in John one, uh, um, the word became flesh and lived among us. The word is the same word used for the tabernacle mm. lived among us, wow. tabernacled yeah. among us. So there's a, there's a kind of, um, foretaste of that in Leviticus with God in the tabernacle, um, that is made fully manifest in in God in Christ, God in God in the flesh, incarnate. So,
2: if, if So we're drawing that scarlet thread. Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah.
1: No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead, Corey. Like
2: we just want to say, God always wants to be intimately present, right? Uh, we we should not do uh, the the sin of Marcion, right? Right. And, and say. Old God, bad; new God, great. Right, um, right, that, like, right? Right, right, right. Like God always wants to be present, and that's where the issues come up. Uh, and certainly, the gospel is full of issues that come up uh, when God wants to be really, really present, mm. uh, and the Hebrew Bible very much the same. Uh, mm. And the 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 spark, the the reason for the issues coming up, is because God lives among us and wants to be present with God's people and. Yes. That causes any number of things. Right. And if it's Acts or if it's Matthew or if it's um, Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's the same issue. Yeah. God loves the people and wants to be present among the people and doesn't want to be distant. Uh, but God is God and the people are the people. But like that love provides for a presence. Uh, and I,
1: yeah,
2: That's where it gets interesting.
1: And that's, that's the gospel of it too, right? That God, that God desires to be in relationship with the people, with us and that God comes down to us. But that was super helpful. uh, We have gone on. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Thank
0: you guys. Thanks. We we
1: probably, probably should wrap this up, but again, thank you so much, Corey, uh, for your insights. They're really, really helpful. Um, And thank you to our listeners. Uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of the enter the Bible podcast. Get high-quality courses, commentaries, resources, videos, and uh, reflections at enterthebible.org. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we look forward to talking with you again. Take care.